on with the show. What's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the often imitated, never duplicated Voices of Misery podcast. And today's a special one because I am extremely excited for this one. And you guys know I don't really have a lot of guests come on the show lately. It's been kind of just me and the wife kicking it and doing our thing. And I never have the same person come on twice. We generally have a rule on this show. It's a one and done kind of deal. And, you know, sometimes you just kind of meet someone who just is so special. You want to talk to them again. And this special guest here, um, I'm going to reveal her name here in just a second. We just went over so much stuff the first time that I had to have her come back here and just keep the conversation going. Talking about Alexis Charday, what is going on? It's been a long time. Oh, I feel so special now. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's going on? Dude, life is going on. It's been so much has happened since the last time I talked to you. I think the last time I talked to you was like right when I was getting ready to move. You know, I looked at the show and, you know, like just to see when it was June 2021 was when we posted yeah. the episode. So it's been a while. What, what What's new with you? What's going on? Yeah. So uh, I moved back to my hometown in Eugene, Oregon, and I had a son. Oh, my and goodness. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's boys are crazy. Y'all are wild. <laughs> <laughs> So was this baby number two? Number two. Okay. Okay. How old was the first one? I got my tubes tied last year for Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So how old was the first one? She will be 14 this year. He's going to be 14. So so what what is the uh, cause for the age gap here? Is there any reason why you would want to go down that path again? Well, um, you know, I always told myself that I wanted to have a boy and a girl. Um, and I was just kind of like waiting to see if that would happen, you know, with the right person. I thought it was the right person at a, it wasn't, but (laughs) I'm, um, I am grateful. Uh, also after I had my daughter, which is in the 2010s, um, I was like, all right, I don't want to have any other unplanned pregnancies because I had some friends that as soon as they got pregnant, they like got pregnant like right after. It's like once you have one, you're really fertile. So (laughs) I went and got one of those IUDs. And so I had one of those for like 12 years and got it taken out because it, you know, hitting the expiration date. And uh, then here here we are again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now do you find it more rewarding the second time i mean because now you have the benefit of hindsight i mean you've been there you've done that do you find it uh, a little bit easier now um you know i think i'm less hard on myself you know the first time around i think i was a little bit more hard on myself like kind of beating myself up because you feel like you're not doing anything right So second time around, I feel like I'm easier on myself, but boys are completely different than girls. 
So once again, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> now, what challenges are you seeing raising the boy as opposed to the girl? Because I find, I mean, just the advice that I've been given, I mean, we, we got two teenage girls now was when they were really young, they said, you guys have it so easy now. But when they turn into teenagers, it's going to be a nightmare. Are you seeing that trend now or is it a little bit different from your experience? Um, no, me, me and my daughter are pretty, pretty close. And I mean, obviously there's always challenges with teenagers, but, um, yeah, I think, I think we've always maintained a pretty good relationship. So usually we can just talk things out. Um, but I think all teenagers are a little rebellious and testing the waters as well as toddlers, uh, toddlers are the same way. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, do you find it, um, being more difficult, especially, you know, when you think about, cause I was talking, you know, to a family member a while back and they were saying, Hey, remember when we were kids, you know, mom and dad, they had it so much easier than we have it now because of cell phones and technology and whatnot. And do you have any challenges with your, with, you know, you say you got a 14 year old daughter now with, with, with the internet and kind of keeping her head on straight with the dangers and stuff that's going on out there. Do you have any issues with that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of issues with that. Um, you know, you make the mistake of thinking that, oh, yeah, I can trust them with this at nine years old. And then you immediately regret it after a couple months. Um, it's also just, you know, social media in general is just really can be really tough on anyone's mental health and let alone a young mind that his brain is like still developing, you know. So that's kind of what I struggle with, because I don't think a lot of parents and I'm not saying I'm better than other parents, but um, I just think that everyone is on a different level of self-awareness. Um, and then when you're on a certain level of self-awareness, then you're kind of able to be a little bit more aware about what might be going on with a child, you know? And some adults just kind of give their kids whatever they want or they don't see any harm with it. So there's a, you know, there was a ton of kids at her school that all had like smartphones and stuff like that. And so she felt like she was being left out and that's hard because you don't want your kid to feel that way. But at the same time, you're trying to like protect them and um, make sure you're, you know, keeping them safe. And so it's definitely a struggle. And I know that every parent that I've talked to that also has a teenager is literally dealing with the same thing. Um, some parents like let their kids just have it and try to monitor it more. But honestly, I don't have, I don't have the energy to be a spy. <laughs> yeah. Now, you raise a good point there. And the thing is, like, you don't want to over police your child because there has to be that feeling of trust between the parent and a kid where it's like, hey, you know, I trust in, in your judgment here. You can only raise them for so long. And as you know, I mean, you were a kid. I was a kid, too. And it was so easy to sneak shit past your parents all the time, you know, and they have it so much easier now. They got so many ways they can hide things here and there and, you know, put their private browsing on. I mean, you could be the best parent in the world and your kid. There's still things you don't know about them. So. You just, there's that balance, you know what I mean? I mean, I was a really, really good kid. So I was scared. I mean, I got whipped as a kid. I got, I got the belt when I was, <laughs> when I was bad. So <laughs> I was so scared of like getting caught doing anything. So I really wasn't a sneaky kid. And anytime I did tell a lie, I felt like my parents could see right through me. And then, so I would eventually just fess up. <laughs> <laughs> Now, let me ask you this, because this is your second go around. Is there any advice that you wish you could have given yourself in hindsight? Like if you can go back now and say, hey, Lexi, 
this is this is what you should be doing. Is there anything that you you've picked up now that you would tell yourself then? Um, like going back to my first just, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just anything going back to your first time, like something that you know now that you wish you knew then. Um, I would say to try not to sweat this like sweat everything like especially the small things I feel like I would get so stressed out like especially like with like just cleaning up messes and making sure you're doing things right like I think I would probably be way less stressed out if I told myself that I'm definitely less stressed now I mean children can be stressful you're always trying to keep them safe and or you're trying to just get some quiet time because you're going through a sensory overload with Miss Rachel playing in the background and then your kid screaming their head off and banging a toy that makes noise. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would say, yeah, just to like try not to sweat the small stuff and then also just really scheduling time for yourself and not feeling guilty for taking that time for yourself. I think a lot of parents and moms in particular, they get like that mom guilt. Mm-hmm. Or they feel bad because they decided to go out for a night or do something for themselves, you know? Yeah, I would say that's a really good lesson there. Some parents, they worry too much. And before you know it, it's like you're making yourself a nervous wreck. And we don't give our kids enough credit. They're way more resilient. You know, they're not like little pieces of like glass that if like, you know, anything happens, something going to shatter, you know, like you, you can not give the level of attention that you know some parents are saying that you need to like we we had this one uh relative that was always like over our shoulder like no you need to do this you need to do that i wish we would have taken less advice from other people the first time around because we were kind of the same way we we're always on edge and just like hey are we doing this wrong and second guessing ourselves the second mm-hmm. time we did things our way everything went great you know like that's really good advice there i think like don't yeah. sweat it and everyone gives you that unsolicited advice, you know? <laughs> oh, God, that unsolicited advice. Isn't that the worst when someone is, like, always just offering shit? And they're always the person that has their life the most screwed up to you. Like, they don't ever have their shit together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so true. I, I just, like, thinking of a bunch of people at the top of my head that is making me laugh. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I notice it so much now that I'm even more self-aware to make sure that I'm not doing it Um, unless it's like, you know, someone I'm really close to. But even then it's like, hey, is it okay if I give you some advice? I've gotten better about asking like, okay, um, you know, someone goes on a rant, right? It's like, okay, do you just want some space for someone to listen so you could rant? You just want me to listen or would you like me to give you like a suggestion? Do you want to talk it out? Like I try to figure out like, what that person needs um because sometimes people just want to be heard but um yeah the unsolicited advice just dri- drives me nuts <laughs> oh, absolutely now listen i went back because i was getting a little sentimental because i had you come on the show today and i'm like let me check out some of these old uh, you know youtube videos and footage of you so i punched in your name and i watched one of your old comedy sets and this is the one from the 10 p.m prov and let me just say i was immediately impressed and I just want to say, like, your delivery was so smooth. You were so calm and control. And, you know, you just you had me engaged from the very first moment you took the mic and you just started talking. And the way you transitioned from story to story, I thought was really cool and everything, you know, and just want to kind of get into like the, the comedy portion here. 
how long have you been at the stand-up game? Because that's something I, I really wanted to have you come on the show about was to talk about your stand-up experiences and whatnot. And where did your confidence come from with the whole stand-up comedy stuff? Well, compliments like that is what gives me confidence. <laughs> no, I mean, you're really good. And like, I've, yeah. like I've been watching stand-up for many years and you know you see the people that go out there and they bomb and they go out there and they're stuttering you know they're not making eye contact with the crowd they just don't have the confidence and the poise you had it all so I was just I just want to know like what's going on are you still doing that where where this all come from yeah so um I am still performing I actually just kind of got back into it I took a little bit of a two-year break um but yeah so I got into it kind of by accident. I've always been a comedy fan, never really pictured myself doing it. But when I graduated from the University of Oregon, I at the time was doing radio and people would tell me that they really liked my voice, had a good radio voice. I sound like I have like this raspy Demi Moore voice. I'm like, okay, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I really wanted to be um, back in the day for all the youngins out there, MTV, hosts such as Lala and then who was that blonde chick that had that TV show she was kind of like a Pamela Anderson Jenny McCarthy yeah Jenny McCarthy like Mm. they were called BJ's TV BJ's and um that's what I wanted to do I wanted to work in TV and be an on-camera personality so um I kind of found this internship opportunity working for this television production company that made all the material for the buses in the Los Angeles metro um, district. And it was interesting experience. And I did some on-camera stuff there. And some YouTube hater troll said I was like the worst interviewer ever. And it gave me such a complex. And one of the guys I was working with, who was kind of like a manager mentor type of guy, was like, He's like, well, there's always room for improvement. I think you're great. I think you're natural. Why don't you take improv classes and just, you know, brush up your wits? And I'm like, oh, okay. So I started taking improv classes. First, I went to like kind of like these like random one-off places. And then I went to UCB. And I loved the class at UCB so much. I looked to see what other classes they had. And I got into sketch comedy writing. And then through that process, one of the girls I worked with was a stand-up comedian. Um, her name was uh, Cassie. She's passed away, which I learned about a few years back. But she was the one that helped me write my first five minutes. And that set that you're talking about, 770 Improv, is it's like those first three jokes is like what Cassie helped me write. And then I built off of that like over all the years. I still do that set a lot. I've added so much to it. And I love that set because it's, it's just a really fun way for people to get to know me, you know? Yeah. Um, but that set in particular, like, it's a, it's a good set. Like, the crowd, like, the crowd was really into it. But that was this uh, really, really long show. I think it was the, the New Faces show. It's, like, when they pretty much just take a night that's really dead at Tempe, and they just have any comedian that wants to sign up do it and bring all the people to try to make a ton of money. And I think it was like number 15 on the list. And I had a bunch of people that came and someone I had like one drink and I usually don't drink before I perform, um, but I had like one drink. And then one of my friends got me a tequila shot 
because we were like bored waiting. She was going to give you a tequila shot. And I was like, uh, all right, fine. And then right when that, sh- like I was, I was a lightweight. I still am. Right when the shot started to kick in is when I had to go up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so there was like, you probably don't notice it, but I was noticing that I kind of had a little bit of a list going on and I had kind of like my timing was messed up and like there was a couple things that kind of messed up on, but other than that, it was it was a good set. <laughs> See, I couldn't tell because you know that's the thing though. You're you're always your own harshest critic. Yes. You know, like I I thought it was great. I mean, I was very impressed, blown away. It was like you were doing it your whole life. I mean, I I've seen some sets where the person who's doing it and and and, and there was this one. What the hell's this guy's name? He hangs out with Joe Rogan and, and his group. He was a UFC fighter. Uh, uh, Brendan Schaub. He had he had a special. Oh and, yeah. This guy, this guy had a Showtime special, you know, and it was just the most ridiculous thing. Like I was fumbling over his words. He was nervous. He was laughing at his own jokes and like all the things that you would think would be like, don't do this if you're a comedian on stage. He was just doing it, but you had that cadence about you. I mean, it, I was extremely impressed. I thought it was a great set. But Thank the you. thing about being a comedian, though, there's got to be a lot of pressure on you. And whenever you do things like these, when you have people come on that like, hey, come on and do this interview, come do this radio spot. Do you feel a constant pressure to be funny all the time? Like you have to always be on and make someone laugh. Do you always feel that kind of pressure? Um, yes and no. And it's funny because I was just having a conversation with a couple of comedians in my writer's group last week. And I think every comedian kind of c- complains about this is, you know, someone will make a comment like, oh, well, tell me a joke. Or even the worst one is like when I meet someone, and I'm talking to them and then I tell them I'm a comedian and they'll say something smart to me like, oh, well, you haven't said anything funny this whole time. <laughs> I'm like, that's because I'm sitting here listening to you slap your lips because you haven't let me say one thing. Why don't you shut up and then maybe I'll say something funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing about comedy, though, is like people don't. I mean, there, there are some people like that, just like the person, that example there, that don't seem to understand that this is an occupation and a job. It's something that you do and something that you turn on and turn off. It's like you don't go work at the restaurant all day and then come home and cook a fucking five course meal. You know, it's like you want to come home and unwind and relax. So I think that's where they don't get it. Yeah, they don't get it. And then you got the people that are trying to tell you jokes and whatnot, and they don't understand that there's different levels to being funny. You know, like you could be a conversationally funny type person. You could be a water cooler at the office kind of funny person. And then you got your comedian, like a person that can do this professionally. And that's what I respect that you guys have that extra something. What is that something though, that can like separate what you do compared Mm -hmm. to like anyone else? I think it's a passion. For me, that's what it is. Um, It's for me, it's a passion. Like it's just something that like once you do it, it's like this, it's like crack cocaine. Once you get a little hit, you just <laughs> you get that itch. You just, I gotta get up on the movie. I gotta get up. <laughs> um, I mean, the best way I can describe it is you've seen the movie Monsters Inc., right? I have not seen that one. I got kids that were babies around that time. <laughs> oh my God. So now you gotta watch that. But so the whole. The whole thing with Monsters, Inc. is the monsters are in an alternate reality or a parallel universe to humans. And the way that they access 
the human universe is through the closet door. And they had this whole factory set up to scare kids. And by the kids scream, they're collecting energy and they use that energy to power their, it's like solar power for them and their universe. So um, that's what the whole thing is about. But then at the end, they discover, and I'm totally giving this away, but I can't believe that you haven't seen Spoiler that. alert. <laughs> yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. You've never seen Monster Bank. <laughs> uh, they discover that the laugh is way more powerful and they can get so much more power from laughter. And uh, that's how I feel when I hear laughter. Um, when I laugh, when people around me laugh, it just like rejuvenates me and it gives me this huge endorphin boost. And it could literally make a terrible, worst effing day you ever had in your life completely turn around. And I think everyone should have access to that, you know? Um, and that's what drives me. I agree. That's a hell of an answer right there, too, because I agree we need more laughter in society nowadays. And that brings up an interesting question here for you. I mean, how are doing sets now? Like, how is it from just talking to your peers in, in, in the comedy industry? How is it now performing in front of people that don't know how to laugh? I mean, you've got people in the audience that have, you know, notepads and are looking for reasons to, 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 you know, cancel you or listening for buzzwords to throw back at you and call you something or accuse you of something or people that bring their cell phones and record your entire set waiting for you to screw up or say something wrong. You know, how is it performing for these people now? Uh, yeah, people that come to the comedy clubs and comedy shows to be offended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when that whole thing with like, Chris Rock happened and Dave Chappelle, it did seem, I wasn't really performing a lot at that time, but yeah, it's something that seems scary. Um, but I think that a true comedian knows that your intention is everything. You know, back in the 90s, when those like deaf, deaf jam, you know, deaf comedy jam and like the Apollo and stuff like especially like in the black community there was a lot of dissing you know like a lot of like yo mama's so fat and like oh look at the fat guy in the front row and you know just <laughs> roasting people and i feel like um i feel like the comedy community as a collective especially at least nationwide and in, in um in the united states has become more self-aware um you know people are trying to not punch down um, but more so like punch up which I think makes a big difference but then there's also like like I have a friend um, Alice Valpy she does a burnout show in Phoenix and it's one of the best comedy shows if you ever get a chance to go she only does it like once a quarter but it's all about roasting right and so it's different because it's like you're signing up for that you know you're going to get roasted she literally will tell everyone who's going to be on the show so you could like start writing because you don't know who you're going to go up against. And it's like this whole long process where you're like, all right, I'm going to rag on you. I had to like stop people I didn't know to figure out how I could burn them. <laughs> <laughs> and it was super fun. But, you know, it was with an intention of, oh, we're going to make fun of each other and have fun doing it. Yeah. When you're a comedian and you're on stage and your intention is just to make people laugh and it's coming from a loving place that's one thing 
if you have a comedian that's up there that's truly angry and damaged and has issues and is just up there projecting their anger, that's another thing. And to me, that's not really a true comedian. It, they may be a true comedian going through something, but uh, I don't think that's how most comedians really operate. Um, so to answer your question, um, I don't really worry about that. And if I find myself worrying about it, I try to I talk myself out of worrying about it because as a comedian, it's weird because you want to say whatever you want and not care what people think. But at the same time, you care about what people think because you want people to laugh. So I was just go with my gut and my intention is that I'm coming here to have fun. I'm coming here to be myself. And I'm coming here to spread a little bit of laughter and joy. And sometimes I pick on people, you know, in crowd work. And then I usually just thank them for being a good sport because, I mean, what else do you expect if you're going to go to a comedy show and sit up in the front row? Like, that's the risk you're taking. Exactly. But that's what we're seeing a lot now in society. We're seeing this weird, for some reason, this weird trend of people that are putting themselves in situations they know that they're going to be upset by just for the sole purpose of being offended or upset there and and to complain about it. There's some weird currency online now that you get in being offended and hurt and people, they search for it. It's like that like button that, oh, I'm so sorry you dealt with this. That attention is like this highly addictive drip in the brain that just gives them so much pleasure that they have to search for it. And it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, just sitting back as, as a spectator, I'm seeing, you know, the genre that I like, I mean, I, I, I love dirty, dark comedy. That's my style of comedy that I like. And it seems like there's less and less people out there like performing. And I feel like they're scared to do it because everything you say now can be used against you later. And I feel like if people are, you know, uh, they're seeing their peers getting canceled now. That might make them more apprehensive to be creative and say funny shit out of fear of a future cancellation. It's like it's hindering creativity, in my opinion. It's just craziness. Yeah, I agree. But I also think the people that are doing that are people that just need to go invest in therapy. <laughs> I yeah. think that there's this, it's like this great divide coming, like this great divide happening of just like, narcissists and empaths like it's just i it's so crazy because everyone that i talk to that i can relate to that i feel like is someone that is self-aware and tries to be considerate of everybody they're either dealing with trying to they're they're dealing with some situation like that or they're dealing with trying to escape a narcissistic situation um it's just like all-time high extremes right now in the world with everything and um i think it's just important to find the people that you connect with and you relate to and that you can grow with um because if you're not wanting to grow as a person then why are you here you know um and i feel like those people that are doing that they're they're not looking at themselves and trying to grow okay why am i offended by this what can I change about myself so I'm less offended? Instead, they just want to point the finger at the other person and not take any accountability at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing about comedy is, to me, it's still the only form of entertainment where it's universally accepted more so than any other, you know, genre, whether it's actor, singer, that you know, comedians can give their input on social issues like things that are going on in politics and. 
can say it in such a way that other people are afraid to say it at work or whatever. And it seems like comedians were that voice of the voiceless. They were like that moral compass that kind of kept people in check and kept everyone honest. And to see comedy in such a state now where people have that power to cancel others based off of things that they said in the past and things that hurt them, it's really sad. And you see that going in society now where people are just having less and less of a voice. And it's, it's, it's just, it's awful. I, I don't know how we come out of this, but I wanted to ask you as like a joke writer, how has that affected your writing and how can you or how do you, if, if you even do this, like tailor your, your act or your, your joke for the future, like do you take into consideration that people are going to get hurt by what you're saying and you have to kind of, you know, script to fit everybody or do you just kind of just do what you do? I just do what I do. I do enough mental gymnastics in my personal life that I don't want to have to do that <laughs> in my creative space, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, like my job is just to, to create. Um, I mean, obviously like I'll, I take my material and I try it at an open mic or try it on friends or, share it with other comedians to see like if does this work does it make sense does it land and I'll I'll restructure it based off that you know but um a lot of the a lot of the jokes I write it's a direct reflection of something that has happened in my life or someone close to me or just my thought process so why am I going to change my thoughts for somebody else that's weird you know Oh, no, absolutely. And that's one thing that I feel like makes the best comedians is the ones that deal with a lot of trauma. And it seems like a lot of them have deep rooted like issues that they bring to light in the stage. And I find it very admirable that, you know, you can deal with certain things in your life and share it with others in a way that makes people laugh, you know, and something that may hurt you can make someone else laugh. And it's a real talent. It really is. And I applaud you for that. Just for being able to do that, because it's, it's tough to talk about my own problems and for you to be so open. I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> There's this saying that, you know, our own personal struggles are meant to go through those so we could help someone else that's going through the same thing. Um, you know, a wise person learns from someone else's mistakes, lessons. Um, so there are people that want to learn from you. There is someone out there that is looking for someone to give them some wisdom because they don't know what to do in this moment. And it's crazy that you can share those experiences in the form of stand-up comedy it's it's i've seen some comedians do some really amazing things um with their trauma on stage where it comes off just brilliant like tasteful nothing too crazy i know there's some people out there that aren't really fans of dark comedy but i also think that those people aren't ready to face their trauma um, the more that I faced my traumas and dealt with them, the more I appreciate dark comedy. Now, are there some things that you will not talk about on stage or maybe um, like because you, you mentioned your, your sisters and, and one of your jokes in the set that I watched there. Is that something that you would run by them first? Like, hey, I'm going to you know bring you guys up in my act or do you change the names maybe or like how does that well, go? Yeah. I mean, those aren't my real sister's names. That was just okay. Know, joke. But um yeah, I usually don't. I do try to change change names. Um, my mom got really mad at me one year. <laughs> and it wasn't even anything that I said on stage. It was just like, it was a podcast thing. It was for my life coaching comedians podcast that I used to do. And I was in character. And uh, she got really upset with me over something that I said. And it wasn't even true. It, it was like, I wasn't even in reference to like my personal life. But she was 
you know, not feeling the greatest about our relationship and going through some stuff herself. And so we didn't really talk for a while, um, but she ended up working through it and got over it. and We're fine now. But um, yeah, that was a interesting lesson for me. Um, I mean, I still I, I still talk about my mom on stage, <laughs> but it's like a lot of the stuff isn't like deep or anything. I mean, there there is one joke that she probably wouldn't like but it's it's you know there's experiences that I have that are my experiences and there's other people that are in those experiences too so just because there's someone else in this experience doesn't mean that I can't talk about it no that's stupid you know it's yeah. my experience I'm talking about my experience that I had with this thing whatever it is and maybe I'm fabricating it for you know adding some hilarity or maybe I'm telling the absolute truth you never know never know if a comedian is telling the truth on stage. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the whole thing about um, the the comedy community is like you guys are very tight knit, you know, and you see a lot of people opening for other people and a lot of the same comedians on the same cards and the same bills at the same you know, venues and whatnot. Is the community pretty supportive? Do you guys kind of work together? Um, yes and no. Um, I I would say that I've experienced um, a lot of different levels on that, on like this spectrum of supportiveness and comedy. I mean, I started in Los Angeles. That was the most uh, cutthroat experience I had. Um, and that was also kind of like the rude awakening for me on like, okay, this really is a business. Um, I remember... <clears throat> I don't remember the guy's name. Actually, I, I probably have him still in my email, but I remember like him and I were like cussing each other out in front of the comedy store. I had signed up for this like open mic and um, I was like waiting forever to perform and they wanted us to bring five people and I think I had four and he wouldn't let me go up and I was so pissed. Um, and oh. yeah, we got into it. <laughs> mm. One uh, person shy. That's awful. Yeah. I mean, it's, Trying to do bringer comedy shows in Los Angeles is like when you're when you're nobody and you're just starting out, um, it's extremely difficult. Everyone has somewhere that they would that they want to be. So at one point, I was just literally just walking up and down the strip trying to find people to come into this comedy show um, because everyone's a flake. Everyone is an actor and has something else that they want to do, or everyone else is also a comedian and has something that they want to do. <laughs> so. Mm. It's just like impossible. And then going to, uh, but yeah, as far as comedians supporting each other in Los Angeles, um, I have a couple of friends from Los Angeles. One in particular that I started with, Jamal Coleman, him and I are st still pretty close. I've kept in touch all these years. Um, and there have been some people that I have kind of found from, you know, 12, 13 years ago. And, and, you know, found them on Instagram and they're like killing it. They're still doing it. And it's really cool to see and like reconnect. They're like, oh, where'd you go? I'm like, oh, yeah, I was in Phoenix for a while. You know, like you kind of lose touch and then reconnect with these people. Uh, Phoenix was, I think, the most um, supportive environment. Maybe it's just because, I don't know, the weather there, like the sunshine. I don't, I don't know. It, it's just very more artsy there where LA feels kind of more like a rat race. Yeah. Like 
people in Phoenix, like they really enjoy doing it. Like they really enjoy the craft and not everyone is like, it's not like they're doing it just because they, you know, they want to be famous. Where LA, everyone's looking for their big break. Phoenix, it was like more of this community where people just like love doing it. They love the community and they're constantly out there and people would take breaks and come back and, um, but still motivated enough to like tour and do comedy festivals and you know try to make a name for themselves but I just never really came across too many people in the Phoenix comedy scene where there was a lot of ego and I really appreciated that and then coming back home to Eugene where it's weird because I know a lot of people here but in the comedy scene like nobody knew me um and I'm still kind of like getting to know people in the Eugene scene. And it's been interesting because there's been some comedians that don't like me <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, and they just feel like, I guess I'm being perceived as some big hot shot that's trying to, you know, come into town and dominate. And it's like, now I just trying to make a living for myself doing what I love. And, you know, Eugene is like the perfect place to make something big happen here because there's not really a lot of it's getting better from what I've heard but um, there's not really a whole lot of comedy opportunities here and um, I want to and I want to contribute to creating opportunities for comedians to perform and be able to get paid at doing what they do you know now I know you had this idea for a comedy club mm-hmm Let's get into that, because I think this is a great idea. And you were touching on on L.A. And I was just thinking everybody is, is, is thinks there's something in L.A. And there's so many comedy clubs. There's so much going on there. It's, it seems like it would just be overkill to open a club there. So you want to open up one in, in, in Eugene, right, in, in Oregon? Yeah. Um, is there a lot I, of action there? Or? Yeah. So there's a pretty decent comedy scene here. Um and there's a really decent comedy scene in Portland as well and Salem. Um, so when I moved back, it was hard for me because it was like, well, there's not really a whole lot of opportunities for me to perform unless I want to go up to Portland and go to the comedy clubs there. Because um, most of all of the performances out here or shows or open mics are just at, they're at bars. And then there's the whole perform the Holt Center, which is a performing arts center, and then there's the McDonald Theater, which is a music venue. And then there's also a smaller place called the Law Hall, another music venue. And every once in a while they'll get some bigger name comedians come through. Like we had Pablo Francisco come to the Wow Hall. Um, I love Pablo. He's great. Yeah. Uh Trailer Park Tina. Um she's like I thought she was just an Instagram sensation, but I guess she's a comedian. She was at McDonald Theater. Um, so there are comedians that come through, but it's like maybe every like 90 days you would see someone pop up. <clears throat> so I was like, okay, I'm going to start learning more about, I'm in, I work in real estate. That's what I do in my day job. I'm a real estate broker. So I was like, I'm going to start learning more about commercial real estate to see like how attainable this is, because I have been thinking about opening up a comedy club since I was in Arizona. There is this space that was right across the street from my house in Goodyear that was empty. And I was like, oh my God, that'd be a perfect place for a comedy club. And I just didn't really know where to start because when I was in Arizona, I didn't really have anyone mentoring me in commercial real estate. I was trying to find someone to mentor me, mentor me in that. Um, but 
I don't know. When it's real estate in Arizona, nobody wants to help anybody because you can throw a rock into the realtor and everyone's just trying to fend for themselves out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Down here at Myrtle Beach, same thing. Yeah. So when I got to Oregon and got my real estate broker license here, you know, I talked to my principal broker and was like, hey, I've been wanting to learn about commercial real estate for a long time. I just haven't found the right mentor. They paired me up with this chick. She's so awesome. She's sold like three golf courses. Like she's just like bad to the bone and is super bubbly, really helpful, really kind person. Like they just matched me with the perfect person. So she's been kind of like, you know, teaching me things. And I've been learning more about like how you buy and sell businesses. Like, you know, if you buy a building or you lease a building. So as I'm learning, I'm like, okay, this is actually way less complicated than I thought. I mean, it is still kind of complicated, but now that I, I have OCD. So now that I know how it works in my brain, I'm like, okay, now I, now that I can see that this is attainable to me. So it was something that I was thinking about for a while. And um, because of the relationship I was in, um, I wasn't in an environment where I felt supported by my, by my dreams. It was one of the reasons why I quit comedy. So I wasn't in the right environment to really start pursuing this, but it was something that I wanted to do. Um, because I had agreed to not perform comedy anymore, I decided to start teaching comedy. So I started teaching comedy at the Oregon Contemporary Theater. I think I did like two classes there. And um, it was a super fun class. Um, we did like a showcase for the first show. And uh, I wanted to make it a show. And I put an ad, well, not an ad, but I put the calendar event in the Eugene Weekly, which is like a staple newspaper here for like anything events wise. And we had like a hundred people show up. <laughs> it was so cool. And nice the theater, yeah. And I was like, wow. So people really like comedy here. And it, you know, I was like, okay, this is like, I mean, I had some good turnouts in, in Phoenix, but I mean, this is this is great. I wasn't expecting so many people to come. And I really fell in love with teaching. And um, yeah, once I got out of that relationship, I was like, okay. I'm going to focus on all the things that I've been putting putting aside. I mean, obviously I was being a mom, so it was hard, but I, just all these things started falling in place. You know, my one of my friends that has a venue, we started talking about doing a comedy, uh, comedy show there. And then I had some other people from other venues reach out to me, asking me to help them with comedy shows. I had some people reach out to me about like private parties. Um, and then I'm working with this client on buying and selling a business. They're looking for a business to buy. And I'm looking through all these businesses and I see that there's this coffee shop for sale for like 50 grand. I'm like, wow, that's really cheap. And I go and I look at it and I was like, this would be so cool to have like a coffee shop and a comedy club in one place. Because anytime I go to write comedy, like where do I go? I go to a coffee shop to meet my comedy friends and we drink coffee. So it would be so cool to have like a comedy club in a cafe where it's like all the comics hang out and all the people that are comedy fans can hang out. And um, that's kind of where the idea started. And then I kind of took it forward and I want to also, I just registered for a 501c3 so we can have an after school program for kids to come and learn improv, which is something that David Speck and his wife did at Improv Mania in um, Chandler, Arizona. They just opened up a new club called Mike Drop Mania. Um, his wife is like an amazing improv teacher and they did improv camps there. And 
every time I would go there for an early open mic, it'd be so cool seeing like all the kids leaving, having fun doing improv. And I loved that. And I wish I would have did more stuff like that as a kid because improv helped me so much with developing my confidence and my social skills and my wits. It's helped me in sales. It's helped me in so many different situations in life. And I often wonder like how much further along would I have been in this career if I would have started working in performance arts like sooner in life, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm going with this. I'm working on finding a location. Um, we got our website up and everything. And uh, just when I started announcing our crowdfunding campaign, we're raising some money for, uh, for a temporary location. Um, I found out this other comedy club opened in Eugene. And, oh, God. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, uh, it's kind of weird because I built my whole business plan on the fact that there was like no competition. Mm-hmm. And now there's competition. I mean, I don't look at it as competition, but in the business plan, that's competition. Um, and I'm like, okay, cool. So every time I talk about it, everyone's like, oh, you're the one that just opened up that comedy. I'm like, nope, that's not me. <laughs> Oh, that is some rough timing. I mean, so basically you have to do something differently. You got to think outside the box a little bit. Do you have any kind of like plans or ideas to kind of set your your business apart from any other club in the area? Well, my plan is very different from what they're doing. So um, I'm not really worried about that. They, um, the family that opened up um, the club, they also own a winery and they were doing shows out by their winery. Um, and then they decided they wanted to open up a club. So they have like they sell their wines there and i think they had like a food truck too so that's kind of where it seems like that's how it started but they're also doing like country concerts and they're doing dueling piano shows which is super fun um and then i think they're doing like comedy shows on the weekend so it's not like comedy 24 7 which for me to a comedy club it's comedy comedy 24 7. so um they're kind of doing a more um just overall entertainment kind of a thing, which I think is really cool. And Eugene definitely needs that. But my idea is more like, this is focused on comedy. Um, I also want to focus on having family friendly comedy shows. So like an early show and a later show. So kids can come with their parents and maybe even have like clean and dry comedy nights for people that are sober can come out and enjoy a mocktail. Um, That's I'm trying to do a little bit more inclusive as far as ages and also ethnicities, genders, right? Um, Eugene is very, very white, and growing up here as a mixed girl, there wasn't a lot of places that minorities could go that was like theirs, and yeah. I would like to bring in, I know, so many different comedians, all genders, all races, all ethnicities, and it would be nice to just see like a colorful lineup coming in of talent in town. And then not only that, but having clean comedy shows so the whole family can come out, like there's not really enough for the whole family to do out here unless it's going you know to the arcade or going to the trampoline park or going to the regular park or going to the movies there's not really um a whole lot of like live entertainment people can go to out here with their whole family you know now you know what you just kind of brought up another question when uh, you, you were talking there and you, you mentioned that you're mixed and you know you're, you're in a predominantly white area in comedy, have you seen or had any challenges being a female and just being a mixed race female, being in comedy and now and now being a, a future successful business owner with with the club there? I mean, do you foresee any challenges in 
in, in, in the comedy world, do people take women seriously or do you see any challenges there or is everything just pretty chill now? Um, my perspective is that it's pretty chill. Um, when I talk to other minorities, mostly, mostly men, they tend to have kind of a more, um, negative experience or perspective that they share. Um, but so far, like all I have received is like just a ton of positive feedback, a ton of support. I've had multiple people come to me and just say, Hey, you need to connect with this person, this person, this person, here's this networking event, go to this, check this out. Like I've received nothing but support, which is what I'm very, very grateful for. And it's just affirmation. It's just an affirmation and confirmation for me that um, I'm on the right path and I'm doing what I'm supposed to because I feel like things are coming together easily. Um, but at the same time, it's like I'm not trying to do this fast. I want to make sure I do it right. So I'm taking my time. I'm not trying to rush anything. Um, so I think also because I'm a minority and I'm a woman, there's a lot of benefits that I can receive as a business owner. Um, where I can get extra funding, I can get grants, all sorts of things. So those are things that I'm working towards. It's just um, some of those programs, you have to be in business for a certain amount of time. So um, my goal is that I'll have a location this year and open the doors next year. But if it takes longer, that's totally okay. Because like I said, once I hit that, hit that two-year mark of when I formed did my formation for my business like that opens up a lot more doors for funding and yeah. once I get the 501c3 operating then there's a lot of funding there too so I'm not really worried about anything as far as from like having the resources to do it and it sounds like you got your shit together for real I mean like I don't know anything about business or starting a business but you're saying all the right things you sound like you know what you're talking about so that impresses the hell out of me and I know you're going to be successful because you got a lot of drive there and you know you you always got your hand in something I remember the first time we talked you had like so many different things going on and you're always moving have you always been like this um it's like constant focus, you know, like you're always moving. There's so many people I can't even get off the couch in the morning and you've already got like 10 things done. What's your secret? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would say I've always been, I've always been a motivated person. And I think that just comes from like my parents. Um, one of the things that I kind of realized about my parents, it wasn't until later in life um, that they really were such a great example because my parents were living their dreams like they were living their dreams and still taking care of me and putting food on the table and keeping me in like the coolest clothes um you know we weren't rich or anything like that but we were pretty well off um you know my mom my mom's dream was to do hair and then you know she wanted to start getting into like doing music videos and magazines and all this stuff and my dad's dream was always music and he took him a really long time to find his way into being able to make money just off music. And he started teaching. He got, you know, great job at the U of O. And then they ended up moving to New Jersey. And, you know, my dad got a dope job doing music out there. And my mom started doing like the music videos and all the stuff that she wants to do. Like my mom's portfolio is like crazy. And so when well, you have. What was she doing with the videos? 
she she would do like music videos so like she did like hair for like lady gaga's one of her videos like jill scott like all these big names um she was like on those yeah that's awesome Um, so like when you have parents like that that are just constantly like going after uh what they want i i just feel like you know the apple doesn't fall far from the tree um also my parents did not raise me to be lazy like i had a (laughs) every day i had to be up by you know if i was sleeping in past 11 my mom was going to go get the belt and whip my ass (laughs) (laughs) so it's hard for me to sit still i think i've been learning how to sit still more um but yeah and your comment about like the business stuff like i'm just figuring it out as i go i mean like research is is everything and then having good people and good mentors that you can talk things out through. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy because, like I said, with the parenting, you know, no one really knows what they're doing. And it's the same with businesses. That's why so many of them fail. And I've tried doing some other businesses before. Like, this is my third LLC. And this is the first LLC that I actually wrote a business plan for. And they say that it's like your manifesto, right? It's like yep. anyone that does manifestations, like you write, you write it out, you put it out in the universe. So if you're not being intentional with what your goal is with the business, how do you expect it to succeed? You know. So I spent a lot of time writing that business plan. I was like, that's all I did, and I noticed that with any project I'm passionate about, like I'm all in. Like it reminds me of like when I was in college like studying for a test in the library eating skittles like i will just be completely focused and i'll lose track of time now you mentioned pablo francisco was one of the names that was at the comedy club and it immediately brought a smile to my face because that man was one of my favorite stand-up comedians and i kind of kept up with him a little bit over the years and i know he had a little bit of a run with uh like I, I don't know what, I don't want to speculate what was going on, but he had like a couple of really bad shows where things happened. And it seems like that's something that happens with comedians. Um, you know, like a lot of the older style, there was like a lot of drug abuse, alcohol abuse and whatnot. Do you still see that same old style or are they more responsible now with their bodies and their health? Uh, the comedians, you still see that kind of abuse with a lot of the other comedians or is it more clean now? I feel like uh, clean is, as the new trend um especially in when i'm looking at comedians that are like more like the comedians i grew up with like in comedy together like you know when i look at people that i know that i've been doing comedy around about the same time as me um i feel like that group of comedians is very very clean a lot of people don't drink anymore um but you always hear about some comedian usually the older ones that are you know the drunks or they get inappropriate with women I feel like that's kind of like the older generation of comedians um I've never I don't want to say I've never experienced that with a comedian because I have had some comedians try to creep on me before or I've had a number of comedians like when I was doing my podcast like me inviting them on my podcast was like they took that as a as an invitation to sleep with me (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I just think, you know, yeah. I don't know. Uh, you could probably speak on that more as a man, but I just feel like. Yeah, we're stupid. 
<laughs> we are stupid. We are the dumbest people. I mean, if I go to the supermarket and I'm buying beer for my spouse because I stopped drinking uh, like a, a couple of years back. But if I'm going to the store and, and, and the woman cards me, I'm like, yeah, she wants me. She thinks she'll look young. That's just how we are. We're just stupid. We, we take every signal as acceptance. You know, that's exactly how we are. Yeah. So I get it. And <laughs> I know that I can be a charming person. And so sometimes I do feel like I have to turn that off a little bit um, because it's been, it's been taken the wrong way before. And uh, but I've gotten better about boundaries. That's something that I've been working on the past couple of years is boundaries. Yeah. So saying no, uh, making it known when things have gotten awkward. Because like the old me would be like, this is awkward. I'm just not going to respond to this text message or I'm just going to not say, I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear what this person just said and walk away. Like <laughs> very avoidant. <laughs> And just building relationships now in general, like friendship or, or romantically, you just have to be extra careful now because we are in such a weird time where everyone is just looking for a reason to battle, no matter what the conversation's about. It turns political or it turns into this, and you're like, "Hey, man, like you just asked my preference of what kind of drink I wanted for dinner, you know?" And it doesn't like all of a sudden I'm being called a racist. Like, what the hell's going on here, you know? It seems like everything is the precursor to a battle. You know, it's it's just absolutely insane. So how do you balance like, you know, uh, just want like wanting to get out there and network as to like just wanting to be left alone because the world's crazy? So I've been reading this book um, that's been helping me navigate this stuff, and I need to. I haven't read it in a, a couple of weeks, so I need to finish it. But um, I'm like probably halfway through it. It's called nonviolent communication. It was um, recommended by this therapist. She does a it's a group therapy thing that I do. Um, she recommended a couple books and this is one of them. And they actually use it like in prisons um, to like and like in that system to help people that are going into prisons. Um, be able to communicate with people in a way that doesn't come off violent and it's like a, a style of communicating to like find what the root cause of like that frustration is or what the need is of the other human and it's very challenging but once you practice it it kind of becomes uh natural so like earlier like i was saying um <clears throat> when someone's ranting right like and instead of asking okay like uh do you, are you wanting someone to listen? Like, how can I best support you right now? Are you wanting someone to listen? Or are you wanting me to give you some advice? Like, just asking that can change that whole situation completely. Some people will get caught up in a rant, not realizing how it's affecting the other person. And then you ask them something like that, then they become aware and they're like, oh, you know, they, they may apologize or say, oh, yeah, sorry, thank you for giving me the space to rant. Or um, they say, I just really don't know what, what to do. Like, you, getting to the root cause, what the, what the need is of that human that is outbursting. Um, and then as soon as the other person realizes that you really are just coming from a place of wanting to help, it diffuses the whole thing. So that's kind of what the book is about. And it gives like a lot of different scenarios and techniques. And uh, it's helped me to be slow to speak and like really think about what I want to say when I'm responding to something. And um, it's allowed me to have some really effective conversations with people um, 
especially with people that were projecting it and trying to hurt me, which is crazy. So it, it allowed me to kind of like walk away from those conversations, not necessarily having a complex, you know? Someone trying to hurt you in like what context? Is this like a friend or just someone like a business associate? Just, yeah, just someone someone in the same circle as me. Um, you know, they're just kind of projecting projecting mm. their feelings and trying to make me feel bad or give me some sort of complex about myself, make me doubt myself, you know? And Yeah, um, ain't, no, ain't no time for that shit. Just move on. Just keep on moving. That, that's how I do it. That's, that's why, you know what? I don't have a lot of people in my circle for that reason. And for me to introduce people into my life, I may need to read this book of yours because I have no patience for people at all when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, same. I don't know how you do it, but um, let, me, let me ask you, because there's a couple more, more questions here about comedy, and then, I'm, then I got some other stuff I want to get in here with you. Um, who are some of your inspirations in comedy that kind of kind of like sparked the interest when you were younger, maybe get into the whole, like, watching it and whatnot? Um, I would say, well, I would say what, what sparked my interest was probably the first comedy show I'd ever been to, which was, I went to go see Paul Mooney with my dad in New York City, um, on Caroline's and Broadway when it was still there. And, uh, that was right around the Dave Chappelle era. And, uh, Every time I would go visit my family, I would just go see like what kind of things there were to do. I was always trying to do like TV show tapings and do all that fun stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, that Negro Domus is going to be at Caroline's. He's like, let's go see Negro Domus. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I didn't really know how legendary Paul Mooney was at that time. But I was I'm so grateful for this Chappelle show because I got to experience you know, Paul Mooney in person. And it was like the most amazing comedy show. I mean, it was the only, the first one I'd ever been to, but just like the, um, like the ambiance and like Whoopi Goldberg was sitting behind us. Like it was just so cool. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And uh, at the end of the show, you know, he, with Paul Mooney, he would talk a lot of shit and he would get into politics. He talks about everything. And uh, at the end of the show, before, after he's like said goodnight, he was like, before I go, he pointed out like this old white, this older white couple. And he was like, you two? He's like, y'all two motherfuckers can kiss the darkest part of my black ass. (laughs) 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 And I was like, I could never say anything like that. Like, one of the things that I've noticed about looking back is I'm a recovering people pleaser. So there's been so many times I've wanted to say something and never said it because I had like emotional paralysis, like just can't get it out. And, you know, I'm sure there's someone out there listening right now where, you know, someone did something mean to them and they wanted to say all these things and they didn't. But then in the car ride home or later in the shower, they're cussing that person out and they never said those things like that was me. So to see anyone that just had no filter and didn't care about what they said or what anyone thought, I was so envious of that. And uh, that moment, seeing Paul Mooney do that, and then not only that, but on top of his performance, his amazing performance, I was like, wow, 
that's so cool that they can, I could never do that. And when I started to do it, it's really what helped me find my voice. And stand-up comedy has made me more confident as a person and more assertive as a person, which I think everyone should feel. Um, but yeah, so I would say definitely Paul Mooney was like a big influence for me. Um, Dave Chappelle also. Um, but even before seeing Paul Mooney, I used to have the uh, Bad Boys of Comedy. Mm. I can't remember which season it was, but I had it on DVD and I used to watch it over and over again. I used to watch Cat Williams a lot too. Um, I used to watch it over and over again. And it's so funny because some of those comedians that I've been watching since I was like 19, like I've met now. And some of them I'm friends with. And it's just like, it's so weird because I just thought they were like so cool and <laughs> so famous. And like now I know that they're just like hustling comedians trying to make a living, you know, and they're and they're so talented. And um, some of them do really well, but it's uh, it's definitely a grind trying to make a career as a comedian. Oh, absolutely. Now, where do you see the direction of comedy going? Because, I mean, we did talk about, like, you know, briefly how the, the society is just crazy. It's, it's just a very divisive world. Uh, do you see comedy? And we and, and you mentioned that James Appel was also one of your inspirations. And one thing about him was his old comedy style, at, at least as far as I remember, was he used to go up there and just tell straight up jokes. Now he's more or less giving his thoughts on society and giving stories and examples. It doesn't seem like the same Dave Chappelle to me, at least, but. I'm just an idiot who just watches. I don't know the inner workings of comedy and all that stuff. So I kind of want to get your opinion. Do you see that being the new style of comedy or do you see people going back to the more traditional like Eddie Murphy in the 80s style comedy where you can go up there and just talk shit without worrying? Where do you see it? Um, I see it both ways. I see people trying to do what Dave does. Like I see people trying to be a storyteller. Um, it's like there's storytelling and there's stand-up comedy. And then there's like this mix of both. And stand-up comedy, it's all about it's all about the hits and it's all about the punches. Um, but someone like Dave Chappelle, who has created a name for himself, people want to hear what he has to say. Um, I like I like telling stories because a lot of my comedy a lot of my comedy a lot of my comedy is, uh, <laughs> is inspired by things that have happened in my life so you can you can story tell and have those punches in there but I have seen some quote-unquote comedians just go up on stage and just like start telling some story that they think is funny and they just talk for five minutes and not one person laughs until like the very end it's like um I don't think that's gonna work <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. I don't, uh, people tune out pretty quick. So I think it's about uh, finding the balance and building the respect for the audience to listen to you um, to get to the level that Dave Chappelle is at, you know? Now, I think, I mean, if I, I, I wish I was funny because I think now would be the best time to be a stand-up comedian because there's so much fucking material out there. I mean, you've got... You know, men think they can be women now, and you got all sorts of crazy shit in the world. We got a freaking zombie and 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 the and the presidency. 
we've got all sorts of wars breaking out. People are just on edge about everything. It just seems like there's so many things to just poke fun at, but not a lot of comedians are going there. And that's the most frustrating part, you know, at, at least to me. And, and I hope comedy can get back to a place where we can just say whatever we want to say or listen to what we want to listen to. And at the end of the day, you just laugh or you don't. And that's it. There doesn't have to be fights or any of that bullshit or divisiveness. It's just, you know, I, I, that's what I want to see at least. Do you think we can get back to that ever? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, comedy is ever evolving. I'm constantly wondering like, will we ever run out of material? <laughs> because like, I like, okay. So that whole Cat Williams interview, it was just so annoying how, how much buzz that got. But, you know, you're talking about people stealing jokes and blah, 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 blah. And then everyone's jumping on the bandwagon, sharing their thoughts on it. And it was really funny because Ari Spears got on and was like, saying, you know, giving his two cents. Everyone's just showing their asshole about this, you know. And uh, it was so funny because, like, Ari Spears was giving his opinion about the Cat Williams interview, about stealing jokes and blah, 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 blah. And then the next day he posts a bit where he's doing crowd work and he literally did someone else's joke. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. I was like, it was, and it was from that DVD I was telling you about, the Bad Boys of Comedy. And I knew because I watched that thing over a hundred times. I'm like, that is not his joke. And mm-hmm. I couldn't remember the name of the comedian that did it. I was like, I went through this rabbit hole trying to find it for like hours. I'm like, I can't remember, but he, it was the exact same joke, except he changed like one word. I mean, when your whole thing is telling jokes and that is the point of you going on stage to tell jokes, it, it, it feels like that would be the number one cardinal rule is to not steal other people's shit because you're all out there scrounging, and you're all out there trying to make a name for yourselves and trying to be as funny as you can. And you work hard on your material. You know, yeah. it's this have someone that's gotta be the ultimate gut punch. Has anyone ever done that to you? Um, I've had so I try to give some grace with that because obviously there is such a thing as parallel thinking. Um, when you're a comedian and you are constantly consuming comedy, you there may be something that stores in the back of your brain that comes up later when you're trying to um, write and you think that you came up with it and you didn't. So I think that there needs to be some grace there um, because you forget sometimes what you hear, you know, Um, I've, I've had, I've, I've had situations where someone has done a joke where I was like, Hey, like that's really, really, really close to my joke. And, you know, I just, approach them and ask like hey if you could not do that joke that'd be great um and there was no no harm no foul on that um and i think that a lot of i don't know because i've heard a lot of situations of people stealing jokes and it and now and it's usually i'm hearing about it on like facebook i'm like well is there a conversation happening where you're going up to this person and saying hey that's my joke could you not do my joke or are you guys just getting pissed and calling them out over Facebook and not actually having a conversation. That's what I'm curious about because in my situation, I approached the person, those people and said, Hey, like, I'm not comfortable with this because this is really close to what I do. And 
you know, they're really respectful about it. So, um, yeah, I think that there can be some grace, like, and if they stop doing it, then that's great. But if they keep doing it, then that's when it's like, okay, uh, you're, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> I try, I just try to, uh, focus on the things that are going right in my world and focus on what I can control. Um, cause that's all we can do. We're not supposed to know what's going on and on the other side of the country, like that where our human minds were not made to absorb that much information. Um, I think it's important to focus on the community that's right in front of you. I agree with you. Those are great points. And you did mention the whole empathy thing. So you kind of have your uh, finger on the pulse of how people are feeling right now and their emotions and tensions are at an all time high. And it feels like, you know, people are fighting over things that we can't control. And I like your you know, message here of just disconnecting from it all because your mental health is affected the more you are involved with the news. And I used to do a lot of stuff and I had a lot of doctors coming on during the time of COVID and we would sit there and debate and talk about this and how evil the vaccine was. And you become a part of it, you know, and you find yourself deteriorating in your mental health. I mean, I was, a, I, I was angry at, at things that shouldn't have angered me. Mm -hmm. And that's what did it to me during COVID. But now just kind of taking a step back and not really doing the news as much and having more fun conversations. It's just things that, you know, like, like now learning about comedy, I'm not a funny person. I don't know anything about, it cause it's nice to learn different things. Just kind of taking a step back, getting out of that, you know, crazy stuff, just things you can't control really does wonders, you know, for just, just for your psyche. So that's really good advice. Just great lessons for people to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to, it's okay to dissociate and, and create your own, uh, you know, it's okay to be a little bit selfish to care about yourself. Cause I mean, for me and you, you know, we've got kids we got to take care of. So if we're not good, our kids aren't going to be good. So I always try to do my best to take care of myself. That way I know I'm sound and fit, um, to be able to take good care of my kids. Absolutely. And the thing is, is like now we are in, in a time and it, it's it's rough because I was talking to my wife the other day and, you know, our, our kids are 16 and, and, and 15 now this year, they're going to be 16 and 15. And it's, it's like, what kind of world are we headed towards where it's like everything is just so, you know, different now. And it's like, you can't go outside and play anymore. You know, things are just different. You can't really leave your door unlocked. You know, I'm sure I sound like a boomer right now to get off my lawn type kind of guy. But it's just like we are, we're in a time now where I am legitimately afraid. And I don't know if it's my age or just paying too much attention to the news. I don't know if I'm overreacting or not, but I'm fearful for the way the world is headed. Do you share those same fears or do you just feel pretty optimistic? Do you think things can still turn around for the future? Oh, well, this is, this is where I kind of struggle to answer because it's like, um, I, I grew up in a Christian home and I still, I still carry a lot of Christian values, morals, and beliefs. Um, but the churches are really being exposed right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's hard to say it's, it's hard because, you know, if you look at it from a biblical standpoint, you have so many people that are saying that it's the end of times and Jesus is coming soon. And, um, and if that's the truth, um, you know, the Bible says that do not worry, do not fret, because we've already won. God's people have already won. So that's 
So when I look at what's going on in the world, I do revert back to those scriptures because they bring me comfort because no matter how bad it's going to get, like everything is going to be okay. So I carry that value with me because that gives me peace. Um, some people may say that I'm brainwashed. Some people may say that I'm in a cult or whatever, or that, you know, that religion is not real. I don't really consider myself a religious person. Um, I, I like to study, I've studied all the religions and I've learned so much from different, from different people, from different religious backgrounds and different cultures. And I believe that there's something to learn from everybody. And at the end of the day, nobody knows what is going to happen. Um, and we can't focus on the future. That's just going to bring that anxiousness. It's going to bring that fear. And we can't focus on the past because we can't change that. That's just going to make us depressed. The present is called a present for a reason. It's a gift. And um, so, like, just like I was talking about with the, you know, aliens and conspiracies, like, if I, if I focus too much on the unknown, what's going to happen, it's going to affect my mental health in a detrimental way and it's going to cause worry it's going to cause anxiety it's going to cause fear and that is not how i believe we are designed to operate so what can i do right now i can stay focused on this conversation that i'm having with you and be in the present and being in the present it, you don't have any worries when you're in the present so um that's i mean i i hope that answers your question um it sure does like, yeah, that's what I just try to focus on is just being more in the present. And it, and it's hard sometimes to be in the present when you have all these things that you want to do and you work towards. And so, like, I do have to tell myself to, like, unplug. Like, okay, let's unplug. You did a lot today. You accomplished a lot today. Let's hang out and be present with the kids now. Or let me go have a bite to eat and a drink with a friend of mine and be present with them and have a conversation with them. Um, there's so much going on in our in our daily lives that to add on, like, oh, what's going to happen? uh and tomorrow or even in the next five years it's just like too much pressure for us <laughs> amen to that and just to kind of piggyback off what you were saying about the christianity and just you know god being an important part of your life and whatnot is i grew up you know uh, with a very religious dad and he was like he had me read the like there was a thing called the picture bible and it was like a comic book but it was the full version but it was just written for children mm-hmm. read that cover to cover, you know, and he brought me to church and was just telling me all these things. And I was horrified as a kid. I mean, I don't know if I believed or if I was just so afraid to go to hell and burn for eternity. I don't know like what, what the deal was. It was just too overwhelming for a young child, the way it was described to me. So I became an atheist and I just completely went against it for many years. Something happened in 2019 and I don't know what it was where I just started to question, like, maybe this is a possibility and I became agnostic where I, I didn't disbelieve, but I wasn't kind of in there either. And then the reaction to COVID-19 and just the way people just flipped and it wasn't a simple, like people were afraid and they stayed in their house. It was the way like their inner demons were activated. And I know it sounds corny and just crazy, but I mean, when you have your next door neighbor waving at you one day and the next day, you know, calling the police on you because you went out to get your mail without wearing a mask. It's like something changed that person. Mm -hmm. And it felt like such a a spiritual awakening are, you know, just people just, you know, turning into demons or pieces of shit overnight. 
it just it just felt so spiritual and it just woke something up in me and i felt like i chose my side and that was the side of god and being a good better person and i've been you know pretty much down that path preaching the word of god and whatnot when i can i'm I'm no bible thumper or anything but i do believe there's a higher power and when i felt that come on i felt this amazing just weight taken off my shoulders Mm -hmm. i I can't describe it other than it it just felt like i had a lot of worries before and then i didn't have as many Mm -hmm. you feel a little bit lighter things make more sense you don't think as much about dumb shit because everything's so simple and now i break everything down to the simplest explanation because things aren't that complicated and i don't know why we have so many problems in life now i mean we're we are so fucking privileged now I guess this is me getting on my soapbox that we're fighting. I mean, blah, 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 we're fighting because, oh, well, you're appropriating my race because you're wearing hoop earrings. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you're wearing your hair in braids. You can't do that. And and then you got kind of like, what the fuck are we doing? You know, people, we are mm-hmm. fighting over the dumbest shit. It's just. I went to God and, and, and I just, and, and, and I see everything now is just being ridiculous. And I kind of wish everyone had that enlightenment, but it feels like there's such a heavy push against people that believe in God. And it's just like, you're, you're made fun of, you're mocked for your beliefs. Uh, God's been taken out of classrooms. He's been taken out of the, you know, just daily vernacular. People don't talk about faith anymore. Like they used to. Um, there was an interview with a football player where he thanked God after a victory live on TV when they replayed it and put it on Twitter, they took out the part where he, where he thanked God and played everything else. But that it's like, what is the the point of removing God? And you think there's something going on. There's something fucking evil going on in this world. And now I sound like an insane person. So I'm going to ask you, do you feel anything as, as an empath? Like, like I'm feeling here with this whole thing. No, absolutely. Um, and no, you're not insane. I, uh, I, I believe that we are in a spiritual warfare every day. And I've, I've literally had to change the way that I pray um, to try to protect myself from being susceptible to those energies. Um, you know, they, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, when you pray, the devil can the devil can hear your prayers too, you know. And um, I've prayed for some things in my life and manifested those things, and I thought those things were from from God, and they weren't. Um, and that causes a lot of heartache. Causes a lot of um, it affected my faith too, you know. Like like oh God, I knew I asked for this, but this is this is what I wanted, you know. Um, and so. I think it's easy for people to just point the finger um, at God um, or even the devil and say that, you know, God did this or the devil did this or this person did this. And it's like, we have to take accountability for everything that happens in our lives. So, yeah, I manifested the things in my life, but I wasn't specific. I wasn't specific enough about what I wanted and because of those things that I was unclear about I got the very thing those very things that I also didn't want and I didn't you know I didn't think didn't realize I didn't want it because I hadn't really experienced it before I guess so um yeah I've I've changed the way that I've um I pray and ask for things and 
Um, so definitely have kind of hit this new point of growth. Um, also been going through a lot of shit, but I just say it's fertilizer. Spring's <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> Flowers are coming. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the reason why we see so many people that are not willing to take accountability because they got some serious demons that they're just comfortable living with. Like we we all have some sort of demon around and um, some people just get real comfortable with that and they and they don't try to fight it um, because the mind is so powerful. Like truly the words that you say affect your reality. Uh, the words that you say affect your mind. Like if you believe it, it's true. And it's something that I talk to my daughter a lot about as just like being very careful about what she says. Um, you know, there's some times where she's, you know, has said some negative things about herself. I'm like, don't say that. That's not true. And she said, yeah, it is. I'm like, okay, well, then it is true. And she's like, what? And I'm like, if you believe it, it's true. She's like, what? <laughs> I'm trying to explain it to her. I'm like, so if you feel like you have to lie to yourself for a while, go ahead and lie to your. That's why people are so delusional because they tell themselves lies and then they believe it, right? So everyone's just in their own reality their own reality so we literally have the power to create whatever reality we want just by our words and our thoughts that's very true and i feel like a, another big problem here is like we're in a society now in a culture that doesn't know how to say no we don't know how to call people out in their bullshit either it's like everybody's right we have to be hypersensitive to everybody's fucking traumas and everyone's truths not everyone's saying the truth. Not everyone's right. Not everyone is going to be wrong. There's going to be a, a room for debate here and there. But in, in life now, I just see this disturbing trend where people are just being affirmed for things that shouldn't be affirmed. And now it's really muddling things that used to always be known as true. Now we're questioning those things. And we're just so privileged as a society that we're fighting over things that we always knew, like uh, the whole debate how many genders there are and other bullshit. We're wasting our time focusing on this stupid shit that's inconsequential to life and our existence here as human beings. That's where my biggest problem is with just the way things are now and just the biggest hurdle I see going forward. You know, we're fighting over people's race, like, hey, your your skin tone is a little bit different than mine. They're fighting over affirmative action laws. They're fighting over just things that we should have been over a long time ago. And I feel like we're just making things so much harder on ourselves. And you see the state of America now and people are predicting the collapse of the empire. And then you look at, you know, what led to this. We were fine in 2019, a series of events and horrible management choices at the top led us to where we are now. So this is all caused because we're, we just got in our own way. I feel like we need to all take a step back and just kind of assess life and look at things more like how you are, just kind of disconnecting from things that don't matter and focusing on things that do matter. I feel like we'd have a much better world to live in. So we all should learn from each other and just take that as a lesson going forward. If you take nothing else from this podcast today, I think that should be the lesson going forward. Agreed. Man, but I, you know what? My edible really kicked in because I just got kind of deep there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what else you got going on? You got anything else going on that you want to hear, uh, plug, promote here while you're on the show? Um... No, not really. Just the comedy club. We're doing we're doing events, so um, I don't have any. I'm not doing any podcast projects right now. I do miss podcasting, but I've been 
and I and I may be open it open to it, but I've just been really focused on just getting stuff together with the comedy club. Um, so if anyone's out there, they're coming to Oregon, you can visit LexisComedyClub.com to see the latest shows that we have going on. Um, and yeah, there's uh, information on the website too. If um, I don't know when this is going to air, but we're doing a crowdfunding campaign. So if anyone wants to make a donation or buy tickets in advance to come see the club when we open, that's an option as we're raising some money to get a building. We're a houseless comedy club, but we're far from homeless. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I think it's a great thing. And your message is is always so positive. Love having you on this show. Love hearing about your experiences and just, you know, catching up with you and everything that you got going on is amazing. I'm going to put the links in the description here of the podcast too, so people can find everything Alexis Charday and contribute to that club because it's going to be amazing. I have a feeling I got a lot of faith in you. Thank you so much. Hey, right, we got to do this again soon. Okay. Yeah. Not another three years. All right. I'm talking about, we got to do this again soon. You got to get back to podcasting too, because you're very entertaining and I love your stories. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've put some fillers out there. I'm like, Hey, if there's any comedians that want to do a podcast, so they want to do all the editing. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, Alexis. Hey, thank you for coming on the voices of misery podcast. Thanks for having me.